anyway, so yeah, that's why I think that Santa Claus is a homosexual. <laughs> hey man, how's it going? <laughs> you can't drop a joke like that on me <laughs> and expect me to participate in a competent podcast introduction. <laughs> There's nothing incompetent. I don't know what you're talking about. How are you doing? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's been a week for sure. I think we're going to have a lot to talk. Are you still laughing? <laughs> I just like, started like... Thinking about gay Santa Claus. <laughs> Do you think this chimney makes my butt feel big? <laughs> oh my god, you're such a ho ho ho. <laughs> Damn, dude, you got a big bang. Rudolph, it's not just your nose that's red. <laughs> We're just doing an hour and a half of Santa is gay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Let's talk about we watched a movie, obviously, because this is another episode of Cripple threat. People have kind of criticized the title of our podcast because it's like, well, you guys don't have a third member, so why are you called Cripple? And I think we're called Cripple because of look at us. Oh, yeah, that's true, right? Oh, that's right. We are in wheelchairs. Never mind. Yeah. If we were just called Triple Threat, and it's like, well, you're not three of you. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you were called, if we were called Cripple Threat, and fully able-bodied. Then that'd be a huge problem. That'd be a cancelable problem. It'd be very cancelable. But I'd also be wondering, which deals did we both take to become able-bodied? Like, am I just eating a spoonful of shit every day now? <laughs> okay, so uh, what movie did we watch, Tony? Uh, the title of the movie is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, but it's also a little like rude. It's named after... Something that we both can't do. Yeah, so the movie's called Find Love. Oh. <laughs> the movie's called Pee Standing Up. <laughs> the movie's called Move Your Hands. <laughs> it's called Run. It's the first movie that we've watched. And the first movie that I've seen in a long time about disability with an actual disabled star. Yeah, uh, she's a newcomer. Her name's Kira Allen. <clears throat> She's 22. She's a college student. It looks like she uh, didn't actually plan on starring in a major Hollywood motion picture. Uh, and the kicker is that it's not just like a bit of stunt casting. Um, like she's a substantial actress and she's acting alongside uh, quite a notable character actress called uh, Sarah Paulson, who. Uh, apparently plays a prominent role in the television series American Horror Story and um, was a bit character in the movie 12 Years a Slave. And uh, Kira Allen, the disabled girl, <coughs> is uh, can very easily go toe-to-toe with her, <laughs> uh, metaphorically speaking. Um, and uh, the two make a really excellent uh, kind of like Hitchcockian thriller. Listen to the whole episode to find out why the phrase toe-to-toe is such a pun about this movie. Right. Did you think that the the title was, did you like the title or were you like, okay? Well, I mean, the title is cheeky, obviously. Like, what if it was a biography about Stevie Wonder and it was called C? (laughs) Or a story about someone with, like, extreme constipation called shit? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, I mean... 
it was it was a good movie, and I think the title makes sense when you watch it, but it's also a little bit clickbaity. Exactly, yeah. But uh, you didn't mention the other character in this movie. Uh, one of the main characters is actually one of the main villains of the movie, which is Stairs. Oh yeah, Stairs are very prominent in the film, and they're a bunch of assholes. Yeah, they're everywhere. Basically, like. The biggest villain in this movie is inaccessibility. Yeah, actually, that's the that's the really uh, cool part of it. So, okay, so <clears throat> the basic premise is um, Kira Allen um, is a 17-year-old high school student senior uh, who spends her days, like, just fucking doing homework uh, in her living room. She's homeschooled by her mother, Sarah Paulson, uh, and she has kind of like a cavalcade of conditions. Oh, yeah, the movie starts out. Like, the opening credits of the movie are just, like, a list of conditions and their explanations. Which I actually kind of found really interesting and, like, kind of oddly foreboding. It's really, it kind of set the tone in an in a effective way. But imagine that was your Plenty of Fish profile. <laughs> <laughs> just listed the symptoms of cerebral palsy. Just, like, weak lungs, weak <laughs> arms, shitty neck. Unreliable bladder, um, occasional incontinence. Uh, so it opens, the movie opens with a list of uh, Kira's symptoms. So she has <clears throat> asthma, she has diabetes, she has uh, a heart arrhythmia, and something that causes her like regular skin rashes. So it kind of lists these conditions and then it opens to like a montage of Kira. Uh, getting out of bed and like applying her skin cream and like puking in the bathroom because she has like uh, nausea related to her heart arrhythmia. Which you mentioned she's like a very good looking puker in the movie. Uh, Yeah, she copes with her nausea in a very cinematically appealing way. (laughs) She just leans forward and spits a little bit. Yeah, she she just leans forward and like bleh. (laughs) Because Tony like uh, I used to drink a lot in my 20s, so I have a lot of experience puking. And when you're spastic and you puke, it's like mm-hmm. it's like a stomach exorcism. Your whole body just like retches forth like you're a possessed fucking demon. <laughs> and then all the shawarma just spews out of you. It's disgusting. Oh, I'm the opposite. It's equally disgusting for me, but it's like because I have no real diaphragm muscles. Oh, no. It's just like... Uh, when you turn on the tap and it doesn't really turn on. So it just like bubbles out my mouth and then like down my front. Oh God. Luckily, I'm not much of a puker. Like I can probably count on my fingers if I could move my fingers how often I've puked in my life. That's decidedly uncinematic and like slightly pathetic. Yeah, it's really, it looks like, it's like you wouldn't be able to tell if I was sleeping or not when I puke. (laughs) <laughs> like you had just like a little bit of bile dribble down your chin all right well maybe we shouldn't talk about yeah let's talk about disabled mcgruber because she is uh fantastic in this movie why do we call her mcgruber tony she's one of the like the wheelies who's figured out that the best way to be a wheelie is if you can overcome with invention so she's like invented all of these cool things like she'll when she needs, when she throws up cinematically in the toilet, she will then use her homemade grabber made out of connects 
to reach up and grab a new pill bottle. Yeah, the movie's really good at showing like little novel ways in which he's solved her kind of mobility problems. Like all throughout the movie, um, it, it, it will occasionally cut to her like working on like an, an, an advanced like robotics project. And it'll show you like her array of physics and math textbooks that she's studying from on a daily basis. <clears throat> and you would think it's like somewhat condescending or whatever, but like, I don't know, my late teen years were sort of like slavishly devoted to schoolwork. Like I can totally relate to that stage of her life. It was like a hobby too, right? Like she was, she had like 3D printers and stuff. Like I don't think that that was like high school homework. No, I, but I mean, it is like a little bit of a cliche that she's all Jimmy Neutron and stuff, you know? Is that a cliche? Because I know so many wheelies who basically just live their life at home. And if you weren't just watching TV all the time, you had to come up with like some way to occupy your time. Yeah, like pet projects and stuff. Well, you and I definitely, <laughs> definitely do that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, um, the opening of the film is um, her basically like uh, going through her day to day. And like kind of coping with her symptoms in ways that uh, are clear and concise, like from a from a film standpoint. And basically her thing lately is that she's really excited to get into college. So she's waiting eagerly for her mother to bring her her acceptance letter from Carleton University. I mean, uh, uh, (laughs) Washington, Washington University. Yeah, She's like eager to get into the attendant care program there. Yeah. The tunnels at Washington U are not as good, I've heard. No, 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 they shouldn't. They could nearly be as good as Carlton. No. She has this whole itinerary of pills that she has to take every day. Uh, and she sort of gradually starts to realize that, um, or I, like, how, how does it happen? I was wondering that too. Like, but the beginning of the movie, it, it like, she's very quickly like suspicious of her mom. And we never really, I don't remember at least what set her off, like what the first incident was. I think she's just studying the pill bottle and realizes that like there's a second label on top of an original label. And she's like, oh, maybe these pills aren't what I think they are. And so she starts trying to research what uh, like triglycerin is or whatever the green pill it is. That yeah, she trigloxin or something. Trigloxin, that's what it is, yeah. Like, I don't know, you, you get the sense that she lives a very um, sheltered life. Uh, like I said, she's homeschooled and she doesn't appear to leave the house very much, save for going to the movies. Like there's no friends in the picture or extended family. It's just her and her mom. And uh, yeah, she basically realizes that her medication may not be what she thinks it is. Yeah. Um, and gradually starts to suspect that her mother is gaslighting her as to the full nature of her disability. Do you think it's weird that it took her 17 years to figure this out? Well, that's what I was kind of thinking. Like, like it seems like a very uh, silly plot contrivance to, uh, to excuse the premise of the film. Jamie's $10 words. Contrivance. That's only three syllables, Tony. Okay, sorry. It's only $8. Yeah, six at most, okay? <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I was thinking, like, if you're a disabled person and your life is dominated by your primary caretakers, which is probably kind of true for most wheelies up until the point where they um, leave the house for university, depending on how mobile you are, especially if you're wheelchair bound 
and you're not easily transportable and you don't wait bare, more than likely um, the the people you see most frequently are your student support people at your school, like your parents. Maybe you have a physical therapist that comes in every once in a while to stretch you. Maybe you go to a rehab gym or to a pool a couple times a week. Um, and you probably have friends that drop in and w- whatever, but typically your environment is so catered to your needs that it's kind of like always the most ideal place for you to be. So it's very rare for you to go to another friend's house or to have like a full social life. Would you agree, Tony? Yeah, for me, like my, my where I grew up, everything was so inaccessible that I couldn't go to friends' houses. They'd have to come to my house. And my house was always such a, zoo because i like it was a foster home and so there were people in and out and all sorts of like like i remember probably at the peak we had like i'd have to count but like eight or ten people living in the house and it was just chaos there was like many different families and there was like three kids and they were all like just shouting and running around and so it wasn't like there, there wasn't really like a safe place to just hang out with your friends, really. And be a teenager. No, so I spent most of my time like online, really, like on chat with friends or whatever, just kind of like locked up in my room. Luckily, my house, the laundry room was part of the garage, basically. The outside wall was like thick logs and my bedroom door was like a two two inch steel door so i was able to just like shut myself out from the mayhem that was the actual house so it it took years before you actually had fucking privacy yeah yeah basically when i first moved in my one of my bedroom walls was one of those hospital dividers good lord tony yeah like you know those like sliding stand-up things that just stand there yeah yeah that was my bed that was my bedroom wall did your um your house like smell like cleaning fluid like what did it have the aura of a hospital like <laughs> other senses no they tried to make it feel like a room they put like um a border you know those like wallpaper borders up around the top of their walls and it had like trains and i loved trains so that felt kind of at home yeah it was basically just to be easy but it was it was looking back like a very clinical place to be and it was important because I needed a lot of care at the time. Uh, but then eventually I moved upstairs to like the bedroom. Just a minute. Hold on a minute. Back up. They moved you <laughs> upstairs. Yeah. How did you get down the stairs? Well, that's the, well, we'll get to that as we talk about the movie Run. I did the same thing she did where I would just fly myself down the flight of stairs every morning and then crawl. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, my parents would carry me up and down. Wow. Yeah, so eventually it got too much, obviously, for them to carry me. Yeah. Uh, so that's when they were like, okay, let's move it into the laundry room. So then my my bedroom was the laundry room until I moved out. It wasn't as bad as I make it sound. The laundry room part was actually really nice. And they kind of like sectioned off. Have you heard? Did you just hear what you said? <laughs> I, I'm like Harry Potter just living under his stairs. Yeah, this is, this is like I'm waiting for Hagrid to come rescue you and, and bring you to fucking Hogwarts, dude. You're a weary, Tony. <laughs> You're a wizard, Tony. Yeah, so... You're like, I didn't get my first wheelchair until I was 17. I was transported on a human-sized charcuterie board. 
<laughs> my first wheelchair thing Thanks. was actually it was because it wasn't a wheelchair. It was like <laughs> it was like this um red. I don't even know what you would call it. This is at least how I remember it. Was it a sleigh? It was basically Santa's sleigh. It was like this little. Is this why we opened with gay Santa? <laughs> you know those. Uh, well, it had a real long pole at the back. Um, <laughs> uh, you know those like scooter boards in gym class. Yes, I do. Yeah. So was... fo- Hold on, like the little four wheeled scooter bars you're yeah. talking about. Like it's yeah. just like a little square. Yeah, with casters on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an intro skateboarder for for uh, primary school kids. I had so much fun with those in gym class. Just a minute now, Tony. How long did you have one of those boards in your life as a primary form of transportation? The short answer is I got rid of it a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So it was kind of like that board. It was like a seat with a couple wheels. I think it was a tricycle. I had this long post on the back. Maybe I'm just making this whole thing up. <laughs> it had like a long post on the back. And and people would just, I would like basically be sitting on the floor on this thing. And people would push me around in it. God. Until eventually they were like, let's get him a wheelchair. So I think I was like four or five years old when I got my first chair. That's ridiculous. How old were you? When I got my first chair? Yeah. I don't even know. Well, I guess you weren't using a wheelchair right away because you were like, you did scooters for a bit, right? You're talking about pow- power chair or what? I'm just like, what was your first thing? I had a rehab K walker. My parents had me walking like before I could talk. Huh. And there are videos of me on YouTube trying out this K walker for the first time. On YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll link <laughs> I'll link to it in the in the show notes. It's just my dad being like all right, little Joe, it's time to go across the carpet. And then like, dad, I don't want to. I'm not supposed to walk. I'm disabled. <laughs> no, Have but... you ever heard of power chairs? Or at <laughs> least those scooter boards from gym class? Yeah, like, dad, it's 1990. Stop with the savagery. <laughs> so yeah, my first uh, mobility device was not a chair. Uh, we did have manual chairs a little bit later. Um, to like get around the mall and and like impractical spaces. Was this the same for your sister? Yeah, my sister yeah. was like the prototype wheelie. Right. She was always like quite autonomous and movable, and so she kind of set the tone for how I should also have to cope with. Sleep. <laughs> Do you resent that? Do you wish she was like not as good at using a K walker, so you could have got your wheelchair sooner? She didn't even use a fucking K walker. In fact, it's I'm still sort of stigmatized for not being able to use. <laughs> or on crutches. They tried to train me on it, but they didn't understand that I was too spastic. So literally anytime I, <clears throat> it's like if I try to use forearm crutches and I like think that I'm going to fall, I will fall. You know what I mean? Because it's all about um how relaxed I am. And the minute I tense up, the minute I'm gonna just like plank and then just gradually tip over like a Is there videos of that too? <laughs> You wish, Tony. No, <laughs> no, there's no videos of me falling over yet. All right. Well, we'll keep the cameras rolling. But um, what, I, okay, so I got my first wheelchair when I was probably like five. I remember I, uh, that's the first and probably only chair I chose the color on, and it was purple because I loved Barney, <laughs> the, the purple dinosaur. 
So I picked up Purple Wheelchair. That's fabulous. Very progressive. I think it made me pretty cool in the playground for sure. I remember there was a section of my parents' house where they wouldn't let me drive because they were afraid that I wouldn't be good enough at driving my chair. That's my whole house right now. (laughs) You're just like cordoned off into one room your whole life. I'm in the garage. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. They're like, you just stay there. Yeah. Actually, we're just going to take the ramp out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pee in the corner. Here's a urinal. Here's a bucket. You'll be fine. Pretty close. We'll send you food at three times a day. Anyway, long story short, I got that wheelchair. I got rid of that red scooter. I was joking. I ended up getting one of those scooter boards later on, though, because I just had fun with them. They were fun, like to put friends on and then pull them around. I don't understand. Like, they pulled you around in a fucking sleigh, like like a... I wish I could find a picture. Maybe I can ask my parents if they have any memories or pictures of that thing. And I'll figure out if I'm making it up, but... Did you have a Hodor? Like, did you have a big man whose shoulders you can sit on the back of and he'd bring you places? When I was really young, I had like a Red Cross nurse. And I remember she would carry me, carry me around with by the belt loops of my pants. What? And I would just like, she would like hold me off the ground and I'd kind of like flail my feet around to pretend I was walking and she would just move me around like, look, you're doing it. This is all you. But I just like, looked like a marionette puppet. Sometimes that's how I feel at work. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you showed up. Look, look, you're doing it. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, let me hold the door for you. <laughs> look at him write that code. He's even got his keyboard the right way. <laughs> Click the start button. <laughs> How do we get talking about this? Oh, yeah, like, because she's, like, kind of an indoor wheelie at this point. Yeah, and that's, like, you would think at some point that that's not realistic or it it strains credulity. Yeah, like, why isn't, what, like, why isn't someone coming over and questioning any of this? But really, like, it's not uncommon. First of all, this mom is very overbearing and, like, You'd think that most people would be like, that's crazy. I would never let my mom be like that. But when you're really having a hover mom, it's it's just a common thing because you're, I get it. Like they're trying to be protective, right? I mean, as a disabled kid, you're incredibly vulnerable and there are no books on parenting uh, wheelies, especially not in the late 80s, early 90s when Tony and I grew up. And so... Um, really your only model for how to cope is like what the parents at like Easter Seals uh, events might tell you. Um, And there aren't really, don't have a whole lot of disabled peers growing up unless you grow up in a large urban center, which neither Tony nor I really did. I grew up in Northwestern Ontario and Tony grew up in a small town in Southern Ontario. So yeah, there's just, there's no, there's no rules. Uh, So you have to figure it out yourself. And a lot of times, um, you end up with helicopter parents. The really interesting thing is that um, at Carleton, uh, where we went to school together, there was a clique of disabled people. I think we've explained this before, maybe not to all that great of detail, but there was an attendant care program there uh, with dozens of other wheelies uh, and a whole group of uh, attendants who were composed of undergraduate students. Um, that were hired by the program coordinators there to help with uh, the, the 
all of our basic needs. And, you know, they kind of gloss over the fact that you'll be administering urinals and putting cripples on toilets. Yeah. Where do you draw the line in that interview process, though? Like, I, I thought about that. Like, where do you go? Like, hey, we need people to come help us, like, take care of these disabled people. Yeah. It's a great job. Flexible hours. You work right on campus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then at what point it's like, it's like, when do you tell your person uh, that you're dating like some thing about you, you know, that you, you're like, do I wait till the third date or whatever? I mean, I could see the head coordinator of the Carlton disability support program, like being very good at glossing over that fact. Um, yeah. uh, that's not the point. The point I was trying to get to is that, um, hanging out like in and around that community, you develop as much of a proximity or an understanding of the disabled people's parents as you do the fellow wheelies in that community like i feel like i have quite a detailed portrait of the wheelies that i was close to at the time of their parents as much as i do them because uh, like we're always kind of talking about our upbringings because it's kind of fascinating to see like the the parallels and the differences and to try to like uh understand how the way that we might cope with certain aspects of our disability are like mappable to how our parents dealt with uh, those things while we were growing up. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And and I think there's also just like, you think growing up before you meet a lot of other people with disabilities, you think that your experiences are so foreign and just almost bizarre. Yeah. And then you talk to other people with disabilities and it just, everything feels a lot more normal. Yeah. And sometimes your experiences are like the least bizarre of the group. Right. That's, I think that's, there's some comfort in that weirdly because you, you basically just like, it, it's almost like a sense of community, a sense of belonging because it is, it is hard to explain to people even today. Like I have a hard time explaining to people certain parts of my life and, and like making sure when I when I'm telling this story, I'm okay, you know. Yeah. Like so many people, I'll be like, and then I lived in a a room, and it was the laundry room, and I went around on this scooter board, and people are like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they, like that's not what I'm getting at. Like it's funny. Like it's fine. They don't they don't crack jokes. Like they immediately like think of yeah. I, I could see that totally. I mean, even yeah. my just hearing it for the first time, like I'm kind of in disbelief yeah but it, it it also sort of makes sense your ability to like weather the adversity of your disability is like constantly reassuring for me and i yeah well i think that part of it is just that um when you know other disabled people you realize like i'm saying like your, your experiences i don't want to say aren't unique but they're not they don't define you as much in that community. No. So that's nice. It is it is uh wonderful. I mean, don't get me wrong, there there are certain persistent kind of frustrations with like existing in that community. It's not perfect. No. It's not 100% uh, supportive cuz it's also a bit of like an echo chamber. Yeah. It's easy to just like get angry and talk about para forever oh yeah and then everyone there is mad about public transportation not being great and so like you can just talk about it forever whereas if you're in a group where you're the only one that really understands the problem 
you kind of force you're forced to just move on and talk about the next thing. Yeah. So all of that is to say <laughs> that um like like a an exaggerated caricature of Munchausen's by proxy in a parent in a film is not necessarily that unrealistic. No, I don't. <clears throat> like I can even think of um people that I knew whose parents had them on like regiments of medication or like certain like physio rituals that didn't make sense to me at all. They seemed like utterly foreign and kind of crazy. Okay, wait, I have to tell you the most insane physio ritual I had growing up. Okay, please. Yeah, so um, when I was small, I've always like part of my disability is I have like weak lungs. And the biggest concern doctors always had were like, make sure he doesn't get a cold because that will turn into pneumonia. And pneumonia is like the worst because he doesn't have the power to clear his lungs. And all of that still holds true today. Like, I'm not very good at like coughing or whatever. Um, a lot of my physio was just based on what they call chest physio, which is essentially helping to clear your lungs from like fluids in them and whatever. And uh, so they would do the the best thing you're supposed to do is sit on your chest. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, it gets more ridiculous than you could ever imagine. You're supposed to keep your head lower than your chest so that gravity can help drain fluid from your lungs. And then you're supposed to take your hands or like someone else takes their hands, cups them to make like a percussive cupping shape and then smack your chest over and over again in a rhythm. So people would like basically hang me upside down (laughs) and just like smack me. Uh, And I remember like, if, if they don't cup their hands enough, they're just slapping you at that point. So it just hurts. Tony, are you describing like a Friday night? <laughs> Date night? Are you describing your physio regimen or your sex life? So I like to get slapped. <laughs> <laughs> and if it helps me clear my lungs, even better. <laughs> my mom would do this like multiple times. Oh, that day. makes my joke terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> It makes my joke even worse. Oh, God. Edible complex. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, like, when I was smaller, it was a little easier to just kind of hold me up and smack me around, (laughs) hoping that the fluid comes out. God damn. But as you get a little bit bigger, it gets harder and harder to do that. So my mom's solution, and I say that in very sarcastic air quotes, was to use her ironing board and she would lay me down on the ironing board with one, she'd put one end of the ironing board on her lap, the other end on her floor, on the floor while she sat on the couch. And then I would lie on the ironing board, sliding down towards the floor. She would like hold on to my legs so I don't slide down and then use the other hand to just smack my chest while she's like on the phone or like talking to her friends or whatever. It's like the most humiliating thing. But to top it all off, my mom had this ironing board that I'm sure she thought was hilarious, but it was a naked man. What? So the ironing board was a naked man with a towel over his shoulder, just so carefully covering his dick. Like he was fully naked with just the corner of the towel covering his dick. And I had to lie on that for hours a day 
getting smacked around by my mom to clear uh, fluid from my lungs. Tony, I thought the abuses depicted in this uh, horror movie were <laughs> awful, and it turns out your real-life experience <laughs> is worse than a fucking horror movie. <laughs> Good Lord. And then I remember, like, eventually... And then? What do you mean, and then? Well, it was... <laughs> it was just that, like, I obviously outgrew the ironing board, but my mom <laughs> loved the the convenience of it in her mind. And so I just... It, it felt like I was, like, Elf in the movie Elf, where he's, like, way too big for the desk. And I'm just, like, lying there on this way too big ironing board... Now old enough to fully understand the psychological implication of the naked man on the ironing board while she, like, smashed my chest for hours a day. I feel like I just entered the fucking Twilight Zone. This is so <laughs> weird. I can't compete with this, Tony. <laughs> don't try. I don't. It's definitely not a competition. I'm just telling you, when you said crazy physio rituals, I was like, Hold my suction machine. <laughs> so yeah, continue how this is not an abnormal setup for a wheelie movie. Or not abnormal, but like believable. It is believable. Well, I don't know. Any wheelie that you talk to will have a story to tell you about a weird thing they had to go through as a kid that was supposedly going to help them cope with their disability. Do you have, do you have one? Let me think. Well, I mean, I had a variety of like super invasive orthopedic surgeries that were debatably non-beneficial. I talked <laughs> about it a couple of times on the podcast, I think. Yeah, your shark attack surgeries. Yeah, shark attack surgeries. Um, I did have like a weird um, array of physical activities that I partook in as a kid. Like my dad took me for karate lessons, even though I couldn't <laughs> kick, kick or punch. That's the strangest thing ever. What did you do? I basically just uh, hamstring stretches and like uh, I could punch with my right arm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I did. And I don't know <laughs> who recommended that I even try martial arts. But it sounds so fucked up. Do you think it was recommended by someone? Or do you think your parents were like... It had to have been. Because my primary school teacher, her husband was the dojo for the fucking uh, karate school that uh that was really popular at the time in thunder bay and they're like oh yeah you should try karate (laughs) so i had to go to karate class for two years did did you skip gym class i i was not given credit for gym in high school so yes i did skip gym so i had a i had a an ssp a student support person like it was like kind of just like a book jockey uh uh, his his name was john gallo and he was uh, a 27 at the time and he uh, he just brought my books from place to place. And um, he also would hold on to me while I used forearm crutches. But he was really cool, actually. He helped me recover from my my third major surgery. Um, I love that guy. And I, I haven't talked to him since. What did you call it? SSP? SSP, yeah. Student support person. Yeah, we called them EAs, but it was the same thing. Yeah, educational assistant. It's the yeah. equivalent acronym. Um, what was I trying to say? I was, my dad did try to get me into kayaking and I remember a really traumatic experience of being like tipped over in the kayak and not having the core strength to flip it back over. Yeah. I was just going to say like, that's, that's no easy feat. No, my sister could do it. So it was thought that I should be able to as well. Right. Of course. And I just, I just could. 
I couldn't. What happened? Did someone have to flip you over or did you just... Yeah, eventually I just failed the drill. But then you you still had to spend that 30 seconds in the water, like wondering if they were going to realize that you couldn't fucking do it. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, that was fucked. What about music class? Did you have to do music? Yeah, I, I did have to do music. So they tried to get me to play the recorder and my left hand is like poorly coordinated. And even though I had like a like an occupational therapist... Like, you know, like a lady that comes in every two to three months to give you like a special ergonomic pencil Mm -hmm. or a nice grip. Yeah. Just like some sort of like toy. She was basically like a disabled cue. Yeah. Like from James Bond. She'd just like come in and be like, oh, hello, Mr. Bond. I have some pennies. Pick them up. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Show me you know how to use a, a pencil. Yeah. But she was actually a really nice lady, to be honest. And later in life, she uh, she helped me get some tools for university that kind of helped me with certain things. So I really liked her. Her name was Karen Pontello. But anyway, um, so yeah, I went through a variety of humiliations, essentially, that were activities that were supposed to better me as a disabled person. And I'm not sure if they did. My, my, my music experience was pretty wild. Right. I remember... Like, I also had to do the recorder. I would go home, and I'd be okay. I could play a couple tunes, uh, and I kind of liked that I could do it. But then I got to class, and everyone was doing it, and obviously way better than me. Yeah. And I just immediately was like, I'm not going. And my teachers were always like, okay, yeah, that's understandable. Like, why would you do that? (laughs) But the craziest one was like, I was in an actual music class and it was like a mandatory thing. And they were like, well, you need to play an instrument. You can't just sit here. And I was like, okay, well, my entire body doesn't work. So like, I don't know what kind of instrument I'm going to play. So they they were like, well, your friend uh, plays saxophone. So why don't you let him teach you saxophone? And I was, we, we both looked at each other and we're like, all right, like if this means we can just go hang out somewhere and like, pretend we're going to play saxophone we can do it so we left and like he brings his sax like immediately we both know this is not going to work he like tries to put it in a position where it could like get even into my mouth and then he has to like twist the neck piece and like i'm like trying to like get the technique to blow on the weed to make it work and can't do that and like let alone i couldn't even make it make a sound let alone like try doing any of the fingering or anything. Uh, so like that was ridiculous. I ended up getting demoted all the way to triangle. <laughs> and so I was playing triangle and I was so humiliated. I eventually was like, okay, like this is just ridiculous. I don't want to play triangle for a semester. So they moved me to a computer lab to do like a music program where I just study the theory on a, on a game like finally somebody clued in and realized that they're being really uh awful to you yeah, like... for my grade eight class um we had this dance component where we had to take a pop song and just choreograph a dance <laughs> and my teacher for some reason thought it would be wonderful to pair me with the guy who was visually impaired <laughs> and we and and the, the song that she chose for us was queen's another one bites the dust <laughs> and like i loved mrs conway like she was like a great teacher she was wonderfully enthusiastic 
I don't know. She was a good person, but that was the fucking most humiliating thing I ever went through in middle school. <laughs> like, honestly, and like somebody put X-Lax in my drink in grade eight grad and that fucking dance was still the most humiliating thing I went through. <laughs> That's hilarious. What did you end up having to do for the another one by Sadasic? What were you doing? Oh, don't make me describe it, Tony. It was just like, I don't know. It was just like <laughs> this guy was just pushing my chair around while I was moving my arms. Oh, no. Yeah, it was. Wait, the visually impaired guy was pushing your chair around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. It was just awful. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I hope there's a video for that, too. And yeah, I, I, but, but thank God they, they didn't make me take gym. So the point I was trying to get to earlier that, uh, John Gallo from high school, my SSP, um, he was kind of determined to help me figure out how to have like exercise in my life. Uh, but he wasn't like mean about it. Like he sort of tried to understand my limitations and to capitalize on my strengths. So he devised a bunch of exercises that I could, uh, actually exercise <laughs> and uh there was like a re there was like an um a gym in the basement of my high school with old equipment and like he actually he had me on like the leg press and and um uh, like doing dips and uh hammerschild was a horseshoe and so i would get on my forearm crutches and he accepted that i didn't have the balance or the core strength to stand with them unassisted so he stood beside me the whole time and walked with me like eight laps around the school yeah, he's an awesome fucking guy. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, by some miracle, if he ever hears this podcast somehow, thank you, John Gallo. You are a good person. <laughs> I hope he hears it now. All right. Well, in an effort to very awkwardly segue back to the movie, <laughs> did you ever use a grabber? Fuck grabbers. Why? I hate grabbers. They're the worst. Unless you're using a prosthetic limb, grabbers are like, ridiculous because of like the ergonomic the leverage on them is atrocious yes and because they can't grab anything because it's like it's it's two like claw digits like you're a hawk or like a, a developmental bird and you you take this stick and you point it, point it at the thing you want to pick up and then you squeeze the stupid thing and ostensibly it's supposed to just magically grab it. And if the thing weighs anything more than a feather, like it can't, like it doesn't, doesn't do anything. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what a grabber is, if you've ever watched a movie where someone gets community service and they have to go <laughs> pick up garbage <laughs> and they're using that little stick and they squeeze it to grab an empty pop can so they don't have to bend over to pick it up yeah. and then put it in the garbage bag. Yeah, that's what a, a grabber is for disability. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. So unless you're like a disabled person who constantly drinks soda and then drops the can on the floor. <laughs> the empty can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grabbers are fucking useless. And like, I love my coworkers. I love my job. But I have debates with my coworkers about the usefulness of grabbers, because I'm a klutzy guy. When I drop stuff, it stays on the floor because it's hard for me to pick stuff up off the goddamn floor. And if you take one look at me, it's not hard to understand why, okay. obviously. Obviously. So I'm surrounded by coworkers who I, you know, have a great deal of affection for. But 
Throughout the day, I occasionally have to ask them to pick up my bus pass or, you know, my badge that gets me into the building, you know, in a pre-COVID world. And they're like, they're like, you know, Jamie, uh, we like you, but stop dropping things. And, 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 you know, they have grabbers for this kind of thing. And I, and I, you know, I implore them, you go out and get a fucking grabber and pick up something with it. And tell me what an experience it was. Or just com- commit a crime and then get community service. <laughs> yeah. That could be easier. And they think it's really funny that I get all fired up about fucking grabbers. Which is why they bring it up. Do you think that a tray is more or less helpful than a grabber? I know you're doing this just for the podcast. But I, I also think they're kind of neck and neck in terms of like, I get what they're trying to be, but it doesn't really help anyone no it's a total non-solution and the reason there's not a better one is because like wheelies are not vocal enough about the uselessness of their um assistive apparatus i right so anyway (laughs) cut to disabled mcgruber disabled mcgruber has a grabber and she made it yeah she she made it like it's like it's implied that she engineered it using the schemes this the same skills that she used to to assemble her robot that she's working on throughout the movie. So yeah. it's a useful grabber because it was made by a smart person who knows what her needs are. But she only uses it to like grab some pills off a shelf, which right. I think you could do with a regular grabber. That's also true. So it's totally redundant. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, she has a grabber. But I, again, it's just supposed to be, oh, I'm all worked up right now. Good Christ. As soon as you bring up grabbers, Jamie just like gets fired up. So she she uses her cool grabber that she made, mm-hmm. and she sees that the pills that she's been taking for probably ever yep. have another mystery label behind them of her mom's name. Yeah, and it's like worn off, and it's very clear that her mom has slapped a new prescription sticker on it. Yeah, and so like that's kind of her clue. That okay, wait, what is happening here? And maybe, maybe she's also like, Am I actually not smart? Because I can uh, fix a 3D printer and create a grabber and assemble a robot, but I haven't got into the University of Washington yet. Yeah, yeah, really. So she basically like goes on a little bit of a mission to try to find out if her mom. Well, just to find out what the pills are, basically. Yeah, her first objective is to figure out what the fuck the pills are. So she goes on this kind of... uh, First, she goes to Google, which is what anyone would do. And uh, she does this late at night uh, when her mom's not around because otherwise her mom can pretty much see everything that she's up to and controls her access to information and basically anything that that might tell her that her reality is, uh, is false. Um, so at night she's Googling and uh, suddenly the internet gets disconnected and there's this like really creepy like cross cut to the kitchen and her mom's silhouette is just kind of there and she's like the girl from the ring but it's Sarah Paulson and she's just staring at her daughter <laughs> who's like illicitly Googling the 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 pill bottle. It's the first time the movie becomes like kind of creepy. Yeah, Absolutely. What what happens the next morning? Yeah, so her mom is outside gardening and she decides to call the pharmacy just to question what's going on. And they're like, oh, we recognize your number. Is this whatever the mom's name is? 
And she just flustered and hangs up the phone like, oh no. Which is actually kind of realistic because they're they're from a small town. So uh, she calls an operator to then be connected to a random pharmacy in, in kind of a pretty cool suspenseful moment. The tension's kind of building. Eventually she's about to get connected and realizes it's going to cost 99 cents. So her next plan, she dials a random number. Presumably within her area code. Like the cat playing a piano kind of approach. Mm -hmm. And this is when you start to realize, like, she doesn't just have technical smarts. She's got people smarts, too. And she kind of, like, social engineers her way and convinces the guy to Google the medication for her. She finds out that the pill that is named trigoxlin or whatever does not look like the pill that she's taking. Right. So, so the, like this kind of um, um, play by play of the plot of the movie is kind of like necessary to illustrate that uh, Kira has agency. Yeah. Like they've, they've specifically written this movie to make sure that she is the hero and that she is the kind of catalyst for any inciting incident throughout the plot. Like all of the problems that she encounters throughout the movie are incredibly mundane. But because kind of the villain of the movie is not only is not only the mother, but it's the environment. It's, it's 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 the stairs. It's the pro- it's the problems that she literally would have to solve if if a disabled person realized that their caretaker was sick and that they suddenly had to take their lives into their own hands and kind of figure out what what's going on. So you know the premise of the movie might seem unrealistic but the 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 underlying suspense and the emotions behind it and the moment to moment problems that need to be solved are very real and so now she has to go she has to find some way to go to the pharmacy to figure out what the fuck the pills are and so they go to a movie together and then she like drinks a whole bottle of water and has to pee and if you're the parent of a disabled uh, person you know that anytime your child has to pee it's going to comprise at least 20% of the whole time of your outing because it's a logistical <laughs> nightmare. So, you know, Kira knows that she's bought herself at least 20 minutes to go out and go to the, the local pharmacy next to the movie, the cinema. And my favorite moment of the movie happens. Tony, can you explain? Sure. So she's like going to the pharmacy and uh, there's a ridiculous line to the. Yeah. There's probably like eight people in line at least. Right. She's like, I obviously don't have time for this. So she's like, I'm going to pull the wheelie card, which is obviously the best card for her to pull in this moment. And she's like, hey, can I get to the front of the line, to the last guy in line? And he's, before seeing her, he's like, no way, that's crazy. Get out of here, crazy person. But then he turns to her and he's like, oh, wait, she sits for her whole life. Yeah. So I must let her pass. Which is something that would totally happen, by the way. When oh, yeah. I was in university, like twenty two, twenty three, and we went out to the club, and it was there was a large line at like like Barefax or whatever the fucking shitty club was that we were going to. Yeah, <laughs> I would just go up to the bouncer and be like, "Hey, man, I'm just here with two of my friends, and I really have to pee. Can you just let us through the back?" And they would almost like eighty percent of the time. I that was my move. Uh, if I before I had ID, I would go to a busier. A place 
because they'd be so focused on helping me get in. Yeah. Or sometimes instead of a busy place, I'd choose a place with like one little step up. Yeah. Because they'd be so concerned about the logistics of me getting into the bar yep. that they would never ID me. Nor nor would they charge you for cover. Like almost Right. I never paid cover. Yeah, like ninety percent of the time. No one has ever like spent uh ten minutes lifting my chair into the place and then said, Oh, by the way, give me twenty dollars for yeah, cover. I don't even know what cover is. Yeah. In most places. Exactly. Um so yeah, so she's like she's like, all right, I'm gonna take this opportunity to pull the wheelie card. So she quickly wheels past everyone, shouting, I'm paralyzed, feel bad for me. That's literally the line, and it's delivered wonderfully. It was my favorite part of the movie. I really hope... It was so good. I really hope that um, that Kira <clears throat> like advocated for that line in the film, because it, it feels like a spur-of-the-moment kind of decision. Yeah, it's very authentic. Yeah, I, I kind of read an interview with Kira... Um, uh, after we watched the film, it was like one of those like uh, New Yorker puff pieces about the importance of run because of uh, because of the nature of its production. She said that um, one of the things that she regularly had to remind the crew was not to push her in her manual chair without her consent. Mm, yeah, I also read that they asked her beforehand, like, hey, is there anything we should know uh, going into this, like how we should approach the whole elephant in the room, which is cool of them to ask because there's kind of two approaches. Either people make a ridiculously big deal of it or they just pretend it is nothing and they forget to even accommodate you. Uh, but it sounds like they handled it pretty well. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's a really funny moment where she basically bypasses the line. Uh, and when she gets to the, the pharmacy counter... She then has to kind of social engineer the lady at the counter into telling her what the medication is for. And that's another kind of fun little moment where she Kaiser Soze's the lady. like, <laughs> And she probably did gain some of these skills from her mom. She has Munchausen's by proxy, but yeah. she also has manipulation by proxy. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, one of the kind of MOs of, of caretakers like this who actually do exist you know, is that they are constantly um, consulting new doctors and um, uh, getting like medical professionals to sign off on these supposed symptoms. Because doctors eventually won't get wise and it probably won't take that long. Mm -hmm. And then your only choice is to get a new doctor. Right. So you got to do the thing that, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Tony. I'm sorry, but I have to pee, and I think it's starting to affect my ability to recount the plot of this movie. Can we take a short hiatus? Yeah, let's take a take a pee break. As Jamie mentioned, it'll take 20% of the podcast. Yeah. So I'll pause the recording instead of uh, letting you guys listen to me just beatbox for 20 minutes. I mean, we could probably just edit in the sound of me peeing if necessary, but that might be kind of gross. Yeah, if you could bring your microphone to the bathroom, that would be ideal. Sure, I'll do that. Okay, great. Okay, see you in a few. And we're back. Hi, guys. Sorry about that. My bladder's the size of a pea. How was your pee? Um, it was... Anything noteworthy? N not really. All right, fair enough. Moving on. <laughs> so she's in the pharmacy. She's like, yeah, let's uh, figure out what these kind of pills are. She ties her sources her way through. Yep. Eventually, she wins over the heart of the pharmacist who 
looks it up and finds out that they are muscle relaxants for dogs. Dun, dun, dun. And she has a bit of a panic attack. Shira, uh, she being Kira, has a panic attack. Right. Yeah. The, the pharmacist is fine. A little confused. <laughs> yeah. At that point, her mom comes back. Yeah. She's hysterical. She's like, what have you done? What did you tell her? Yeah, yeah, she's like insane. Obviously, she finds out what she knows, and that's not going to go well. So, basically, you cut back to the house, and um, and what follows is kind of like like a bit of a Saw movie or Home Alone, however you look at it, where Kira has to figure out how to get out of her house. Her bedroom is on the top floor of the house, very strangely. I, I've never heard of a wheelie that um, lives in a house where their primary residence is up a flight of stairs. I mean, I, I was, yeah. I, I know, I know. That totally blows my mind. But anyway, she has an acorn stair lift. If you watch CNN, you know what, what that shit is. <laughs> so um, anyway, Kira wakes up in her bedroom and she's like, oh, fuck, I'm screwed. Uh, I got to somehow find someone and tell them what's going on. And I got to get away from my mother. She realizes the door is locked. No big deal. She has Allen keys, which is ridiculous. Pretty sure you can't pick a lock with Allen keys. But Well, she's, she's Jimmy Neutron. She can pick a lock with anything. Yeah, I mean, she, she regroups her way through the door, undoes the lock, and then finds out uh, that the, the door is more than blocked. It's barricaded. Yeah. So she's like, what am I going to do? And I mean, I'm no I'm uh, expert in how to uh, escape with a disability, but she does a pretty convincing job. Yeah. Before we continue, I just want to uh, emphasize again <clears throat> that her her escape scene is really cool because... It's very she, cool. Yeah. She never like does anything that appears to be outside of the realm of her ability. So... Like the the movie kind of sets the ground rules for Kira, right? Like it tells you how mobile she is. We know she can use a manual chair, that she's fairly good at transferring herself. You know, like we get a good sense for her range of motion and the movie never fucks with that. It like it, it, it like stays consistent to its cripple canon. <laughs> and like, um, so yeah, like I've had experiences like I live in a garage and I have a ramp that goes into like the main floor of my house where, where the kitchen and um, the living room and my Getting the full house tour. Yeah. Yeah. Where everything else that I need to survive is so such as the coffee maker. Yeah. The coffee maker and the, and the toilet and uh, your goldfish, my goldfish. Yeah. The crackers. Yeah. I love goldfish crackers in my garage. There's like a ramp <laughs> and, and that ramp, is not to code like it's really steep and uh if you are in a manual chair that does not have anti-tippers like you can easily no matter what your 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 core strength or your upper body strength is is really fucking hard to go up that ramp well because as soon as you let go of your wheels yeah to move your hands back further on the wheels to push again yeah you're already further back than when you started exactly so it's like it's like being on some sort of like tortured stationary wheelchair elliptical yeah. 
And uh, it's a bunch of bullshit. But my dad couldn't build the ramp to code because if he did, then the ramp would, would lead from the top all the way like to the wall of the garage. Sometimes like I will go into the garage in my manual chair and then like my friends will come over or something or, you know, people will be around, but then it'll be like after midnight and I'll be here by myself and my friends will go home and I'll forget that I can't go up the ramp like without assistance. And then I'm like, oh, fuck my life. I'm trapped. How often do you forget that you just can't get up the ramp? I don't know. Sometimes you get wrapped up in what you're doing. You're playing a sick video game or you're <laughs> writing some C-sharp code and you're loving life. And then you forget that, oh, I'm not in the chair that I'm usually in. I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like you're not always thinking about your disability. Jesus Christ, Tony. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, sometimes I forget and then I end up fucking trapped. And so I have to literally get down on the floor and do what Kira does when she doesn't have her chair and drag my body up the fucking ramp. And it hurts and it's hard. Like I end up with bloody knees and my, my toes get all bloodied because they get hung up on uh, protruding like floorboards or something, which actually has happened. Jesus. So all that is to say is that like after Kira comes back from the movies and she wakes up in bed, um, she doesn't have her chair. Her mother's like kind of marooned her. So she has to figure out how to. Wait, no, she has her chair. Oh, she does. Yeah, but she just, there's no way out of the room because the door is barricaded. Right. Okay. But then at some point she has to give up her chair because yeah. she has to open her bedroom window and crawl across to the, uh, crawl across the roof to the adjacent room and like unbarricade the door to her to her room but not before having some eggs yeah well she naturally needs to have she has to eat some food she preemptively eats some food to manage her blood sugar levels because one of the symptoms of her disability is her diabetes so she measures her blood sugar levels and so yeah like all her all the components of her disability inform the immediate plot of the film it's kind of ingenious and cool yeah i don't, I don't care what you think fuck you if you don't agree with me but um <laughs> Yeah, Are so, you talking to me right now? Because the first time we watched this movie, you were over it from the beginning. Yeah, but I'm always over every movie with a wheelie in it because I, I need to get over my inherent internalized ableism <laughs> that I inflict upon myself and to you. Too. Then we watched it a second time <laughs> and you loved it. <laughs> I did. Well, because I kind of realized what it was doing. I realized what the true villain was. Stairs. I realized that Sarah Paulson was stairs. It is stairs. You're absolutely right. You're not even joking. So that brings me to my next point. You know, Kira crawls across her house and it's really tense because she has to crawl across like like roof shingles, which have to fucking scrape your toes and your legs and be, be just agonizing. Oh, yeah. She's battered up. Yeah. And the and whole time. Sorry, go ahead. She, well, yeah. The whole time she's like just dragging herself and looks like she's like sliding off the roof. Yep. Like her feet are literally hanging off the roof. That must have been terrifying. And it actually does kind of look like they didn't even use a fucking stunt double. I think, yeah, they probably tethered her to something, but probably, yeah. It looks like she was actually pulling herself across that. Yeah, like her, but her legs were evidently atrophied the whole time. So it wasn't like they swapped her in for, you know, somebody with real, real core strength. For all I know, it could have been uh, a really good method actor who had just <laughs> not walked for. It could have been Christian Bale. 
Yeah. Yeah, they swapped in Christian Bale. He ate an apple and skipped leg day for 15 years. <laughs> yeah. So she used her cripple cannon to break through the window. Oh, yeah. Like she MacGyver's uh, some kind of like she uses her uh, soldering iron that is normally for robotics. She uses it to break the window of the adjacent room that she has to climb into. I don't know about the signs of that shit, but it, it it definitely services the scene. And then she... Yeah, it's fun. It, it's cool. It works. And then she crawls into the room and she, she unlocks the door and she gets her wheelchair and then she's in her wheelchair. And then, and then all of a sudden she realizes, oh, fuck, my bedroom is at the top of a set of goddamn stairs. And then now I have to ride my acorn stair lift from CNN down to the, the the main floor. And, you know, naturally, Sarah Paulson, that fucking cunt of a helicopter mom, has destroyed the Acon stair lift. You're raising your eyebrows because I'm using very strong language. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just I'm impressed at your passion. Thanks, dude. <laughs> she naturally, yeah. her next best thing to do is to hurl her wheelchair down the flight of stairs. Yep. And then hurl herself down the flight of stairs. Yeah, just total ragdoll herself down the stairs. And she falls, which to be fair, probably is way faster than using the acorn lift in the first place. Because well, those things are so slow. Yeah, but speed and efficiency should never be your priority if you're a cripple on a staircase. Well, she is trying to get out of that house before her mom gets back with household neurotoxins. <laughs> Understandably so. So she falls to the, the uh, bottom of the stairs, and then we're basically going through the entire plot, but like... I, I think like this is good. Like we can totally summarize the third act in a couple sentences. We really don't need to yeah, iterate over that. The important part, like the reason we describe all of these things again is because they, they do a really good job of using the medium of film to show the uh, moment to moment frustrations of having to overcome uh, physical barriers in an inaccessible environment. So basically, like, she's, like, leaving the house. Uh, she wheels herself down the street. Not really, doesn't have a plan, I don't think, but... No, she just she just starts manual manual wheeling, like, somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you imagine how terrifying that is just her being a complete badass, basically. I, I, like, I could probably go, like, two kilometers uh, in my manual chair, but it would take me, like, eight hours. Yeah. If I was faced with the prospect of trying to get from my house to like the township, which is like untold number of kilometers away, I would be a dead man. I would die on the side of the road. But she obviously can do it because she knows how to solder. Um, and she's already paralyzed. Like what's the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> so she flops herself down the flight of stairs, wheels herself down the road, and uh, she's an oncoming vehicle. It is the mailman. Who earlier in the plot is established to frequent the house. So it's like, you know. Yeah, it's probably the only person who comes. Yeah. She really, she was just like really desperately wanting to find out firsthand if that letter hadn't been delivered to get her into U of W. So she did all this not to escape the house, but just to ask the mailman if she found that letter yet. If you found that letter. If she got into school. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Flags on the mailman. 
he he's very cool. He believes the whole thing. She's like, hey, my mom is insane. And he's like buying it, which isn't necessarily what you would expect. Generally, people are like, I don't believe the able-bodied person here. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. The only time the movie really alludes to that interesting power dynamic is when um, uh, Kira's at the the pharmacy. Yeah. Anytime I fly anywhere in a pre-COVID world, <clears throat> uh, people ask my um, the person I'm with, you know, like what my seat preferences are and if I have any dietary restrictions or whatever stupid shit like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just like when you go to a restaurant and it's like time to order, they usually defer to the able-bodied person to figure out what it is you want to eat. And they assume that what you want to eat is from the kids menu. They do have the more fun menus. And I like when they give me crayons, but it is an annoying uh, assumption for sure. That happens like almost once a week, depending on how (laughs) active you are in the community. Yeah, I feel like we just need to like crush the plot. Honestly, I don't think uh, the third act is kind of... uh, Nothing really interesting happens from a disability point of view. No, she, I mean, she locks her down in the basement, which is always exciting. And she discovers everything. So her mom basically convinces the mailman, I'll follow you to the hospital or the police or whatever, and we'll figure it out. And then as soon as that happens, she takes one of her famous uh, syringes and stabs him in the neck. And, you know, he's done for it. Um, that's another kind of interesting thing. In the third act, uh, Kira spends most of the time in the basement of the house uh, trying to convince her mother not to do anything drastic, even though she knows the truth. And uh, I think it's just kind of really interesting that um, uh, Kira's mom keeps all of the evidence of her her lie in this basement um, that has like a very like narrow and foreboding staircase that the movie cuts to probably like four times throughout its 80 minute run. And it's down there that uh, they have that, you know, Kira's mom has stored her acceptance letters to university and like photos of her uh, when she was an infant showing that she could in fact walk and like home videos uh, and like her various concoctions to uh, gas like Kira, like her drug concoctions to keep Kira sedated and sick and all that like it is kind of the 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 most elastic the highest concept um act of the movie where all the horror tropes kind of come into play but there's a really really interesting um kind of face-off between kira and her mother where the way that kira gets out of that situation is not to concede is not to pretend that her mother is sane and to like placate her caretaker it's that she decides to um, essentially OD on some of the drugs in the basement. And after she kind of takes a huge swig of some sort of thing that's going to kill her, she says to her mother, like, you need me. And so she realizes that the the paradox of the situation is that um, Kira's mom could harm her, but ultimately Kira is also the reason why she's behaving like this. She's also her primary motivation. So it's talking about the really confusing space of emotional abuse that can occur between a parent and child where too much love is in itself a form of abuse. And it's a reaction to our kind of like cultures like 
lack of a collective understanding of what to do about the disabled problem. Long story short, when Kira ends up in the hospital to get her stomach pumped and the doctors finally realize what's going on, they eventually sort of see that Kira's mom is in fact uh, the abuser that she is and Kira escapes and her mother ends up in a home and Kira's able to, you know, the one thing I found interesting about the escape part was um, so her mom like pulls pulls whatever to get a code blue and then gets Kira out of the room, puts her in a wheelchair, pushes her out. And it's it's not like she finds some secret escape route from the hospital. It's just that whenever you see a very disabled person, so in, yeah. this, in this movie, like, or in this point, like Kira is like, pretty much fully sedated. Uh, she's like mouthing the word help to everyone around her. Yeah. But nobody sees it. Nobody Because everyone is purposely averting their gaze, which is a very common disability thing when, I don't know, like whenever people are uncomfortable around you, they, it's either they look at you and they smile or more commonly they just like look the other way and pretend they didn't even notice that you are there because right. they think that that's being polite. So yep. it's pretty believable that even the nursing staff and everyone in the hospital was just like, oh, I don't see anything abnormal about this situation. Nope. I'm going to look at this empty wall beside me instead of look at. Yep, they could escape in plain sight and no one will bat an eye because, yeah, the sight of a person in a wheelchair in a hospital is totally normal. It's normal, but it's also like, don't look, because it's rude to look. Yeah. Because you're taught from such a young age, like, don't look at the person in the wheelchair, don't ask questions, don't, like, get curious. Just yeah. pretend they don't exist and look uh, forward. Exactly. Cut to, like, basically the last scene of the movie, which is, uh, she's going to visit her mom, who, after a series of crazy events in the hospital, breaking her child out ends up in like a long-term psych ward type situation and uh they naturally have to check her uh, scan her through the metal detector oh that was an interesting scene yeah but the thing is like so they make her get up and walk through the metal detector and they use it as like a heroic end of the movie where look at her she's able to kind of walk now after she like fell off a flight of stairs, she could wiggle her toe. And seven years later, she's walking with a fold-up chain that she pulls out from behind her leg. Yeah, she can wiggle all her toes. Yeah, she can wiggle her toes and flip her legs around in a way that isn't a Red Cross nurse holding your belt loops up. <laughs> Basically, like, uh, walks through the metal detector, which is cool. But I don't think they would actually make her do that. No, totally not. No, they totally made her do it for the film. Um, I will say, though, that like going through airport security in a manual chair, like it is, they do get very... Oh, yeah, like they'll, they'll give you a nice taint tickle and stuff. Yes, definitely. They're incredibly thorough. They're incredibly generous. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they definitely get right in there. And the, like they, they ask you to put your arms to the side and they pat under your butt several times like it's a college sports locker room. Um, they tickle your chin. It's really weird. Yeah, they, they check your 
prison wallet. Make sure you're not storing anything inside. Yeah, they 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 cup your junk and stuff. Ugh, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, some of that you have to pay extra for, but right, right, understandably. For the most part, you know, they they're, they're pretty generous. I do think it'll be pretty easy to sneak something in if you wanted to. I'm not gonna tell them all my tricks on the podcast, but like, it's not unheard of to use your wheelchair to sneak stuff into a venue. Like alcohol and stuff? Sure. Yeah. I've never paid for alcohol at like a concert. Yeah. Never. Why would you? You have to pay for wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. For inconvenience. Yeah. I agree with you. That scene um, is purely for the visual of understanding that Kira has progressed from the like low point of the climax. And it's not realistic. But, I mean, it wraps it all up pretty nicely at the very end, where she's, like, talking to her mom, like, giving her the update. She's actually, you know, making it in her career, which is making uh, prosthetic limbs and stuff, using connects and other Lego pieces and whatever soldering iron she has at the time. (laughs) And then she starts regurgitating some pills that she had smuggled in uh, wrapped in plastic in her mouth and they happen to be the same pills from before yeah the dog tranquilizers yeah so she gives her mother a taste of her own medicine and that's where the movie ends which is kind of like the cheesiest part of the movie I, i don't think it really is on brand for the character to harvest that much resentment over like almost a decade after the initial incident, like you're free now and you come back like all the time for seven years, dosing your mom. But I guess you could argue that if she didn't do that, maybe her mom would become lucid enough again to like trap her in another basement somewhere. Maybe, but that would be like you going back home to the small town that you're from and just deciding to uh, slap your mom's chest. Yeah, like put her on the ironing board, but it's a naked man this time. Or I mean a naked woman. Yeah. I don't even think that's a, as a, as brutal. I don't think she would mind. I don't know what the equivalent ironing board is that could traumatize her for her whole life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that picture has been imprinted on a deep part of my psyche that I'll never fully be able to recover from. Well, I'm glad you talked about it today. <laughs> Overall, though, like the movie was really cool. I thought that, you know, obviously anytime they choose to cast a real wheelie, you got to give them some credit because it almost never happens. And there's some debate in the community. Like there are other movies where, you know, someone like Brian Cranston will play a disabled character and arguably do a very good job representing the role. But a lot of people get upset that, it should always be a disabled person playing a disabled character in a movie. But I, I, okay. I have two arguments to that. One is, you know, they're acting. So it's important. It's kind of the job of an actor to pretend to be someone you're not. And if you can pretend to be a disabled person and do a convincingly good job, then you're probably a good actor. But the other side of the argument is, yeah, but there are disabled actors, and because these actors are disabled, they aren't eligible for as many roles. 
So give them the roles that they're already perfectly suited for, like playing a disabled person in a movie. So I think that's that's a fair argument. My opinion on this kind of varies depending on the day. Um, generally speaking, I agree that if you can cast a disabled person in a role, you should. I think if they made a movie about you and like a young, like handsome Steve Buscemi played you. Here we go again. <laughs> and like, you know, he did a fairly uh, decent, uh, good approximation of your uh, cadence and your sense of humor. I just want to say, Jamie, like, I appreciate the compliment. And I want to extend a compliment back at you. Sure. You look like a very handsome uh, golem. <laughs> Andy Circus or Andy Circus as Gollum? No, Gollum himself. Okay, God, I much prefer that. Thank you. Really? I'm kidding. You would have been more offended if I said Andy Circus. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Like, if an actor like made his career on playing you, and you're like a capable comedian and like a decent performer and whatever you're comfortable in your own skin you could have pulled off your the, the role yourself and like you know that's a little irksome if it was actually just me or if it was another disabled person who had a similar life circumstance no but if they chose another fucking disabled person that would just annoy me because they wouldn't be funnier than you no but i mean like if the movie was actually about me or if the movie was about some other disabled person okay so let's say the movie is about somebody that looks like you like has a similar disability whatever whatever yeah and it's a comedy and would i be upset that i didn't know because i didn't audition for the role and i am not an actor i don't act but i get what you're saying yeah like an able-bodied person who can portray many different things has more opportunities acting so let's say Sean Penn plays you in a movie and then that movie ends up getting all kinds of accolades because of the trope that any portrait of a wheelie in a high, high budget Hollywood movie is Oscar bait. It's been true for years and years. It's probably not true now because we're far more aware of these things. But let's say uh, Sean Penn makes, you know, $25 million portraying Anthony in like Anatomy of a Buscemi. And, um, and you like scarcely see a dime of that. Like at the end of the day, uh, you're still on an ESP. That would fucking suck. It would be it would be absolute bullshit. Yeah. So yeah, you should give disabled people opportunities, like in popular culture and media, where there are where they exist, and you shouldn't celebrate actors for doing a crude impression of of a of disability. Yeah, I definitely see that argument, and. I- I kind of agree with it. Kira in this, or Kira, Kira or Kira, was very good in this movie. And so, you know, they didn't just cast a disabled person for the sake of casting a disabled person. But if they did that and the movie wasn't as good, I don't know. Like, you look at something like The Upside with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart, would that movie have gotten the same attention if it was... Anthony McAuliffe and some random guy. I think it should probably get more attention. I don't think Brian Cranston is particularly good in that role. The reason there aren't more disabled actors is because, uh, like, that doesn't really seem like a feasible career choice for a disabled person. Yeah, it's probably not. My sister went to theater school, and the entire time she was in theater school, people were like, uh, Sarah. I was a drama geek. I get it. It's hard. 
Yeah, she's 37, 38 years old, and she only just had her first kind of major theatrical role in a play uh, in town. And it went really well. Good for her. Yeah. And maybe we'll have a fucking episode with her on the podcast. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I, I see what you're saying. Like financially, it's really hard to have a big budget movie with a disabled person in a lead role and then not really cast a recognizable person in that role. It's just a huge fucking risk. It would have to be the performance of a lifetime. Uh, yeah, or it would have to be a film from an auteur director who, like, there would have to be some other draw to the film. Like, you know, if Kubrick made a crippled movie and he cast an unknown, maybe it would work, or Scorsese did it or whatever. But that's another thing. That's why this movie was released, like, on Hulu. Yeah. And it was probably made for, like, a couple, like, uh, maybe, like, a couple million dollars. Like, it, it, the production itself is very cheap. Yeah. It, like, this is a January movie. If it was a traditional uh, theatrical one run, it would have been released in January, like previous to the awards season, like that's kind of like um, it's the, it's a cinematic no man's land when no one really fucking goes to the theater. So they just dump everything like the studios just dump everything they don't think will succeed in January. And this is definitely one of those movies. Um, and so lo and behold, like that's why we get to see this Kira Allen in this role. And I think she's great in it. And uh, she's helped me again uh, suppress some of my cynicism. And uh, I'm happy about it. I suppress it. <laughs> I mean, I think we've gone through the whole movie, and it was good. I I don't know. I don't. I don't really have anything else to say about it besides like, good job to making it. It's a huge step in the right direction. Even though I just said that whole thing about my argument for and against using disabled people in disabled roles, I think when you can make a movie like this, having a disabled person makes the movie actually adds to the movie. Yeah, where it actually feels like it's 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 integrated into all of the elements of the film. Yeah. Not just a fucking prop like Bran or whatever his fucking name is in Game of Thrones. Like we watched her transfer a few times. We did. And you know what's amazing? You know what's fucking amazing, Tony? How fast she is at it. She's really fast and and efficient. Good for her. I can't believe she doesn't fall. But the thing is at the end of the movie, Tony, at the end of the movie, is Kira alive or dead? What? She doesn't die at the end of the movie, Tony. Oh, I thought that was a trick question. I was like, she's alive? What are you <laughs> talking about? She doesn't die. They don't yeah. cut to her funeral. That's amazing. Such a step forward. That's true. Literally, that, the end of the movie was her doing a step forward. I guess. And she has a career. She fucking, she's, she <laughs> makes, she makes prosthetics. She's wearing a suit. And she's a, a, a mom murderer. So that's great. Yeah. 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 She commits a crime. She's a real hardened criminal. Yeah. She's figured out how to smuggle drugs into a psych ward. How many functional criminals, how many functional crippled criminals are there? There's none. There's Kai, Kaiser Soze and Kira. Yeah. She's the second ever uh, disability Advocate for criminal injustice. <laughs> so, Tony, as part of um, um, uh, Wheel Breakers, I was going to ask you, would you give up your disability if one of your parents, uh, like, retroactively had Munchausen's by proxy? No. But, well, but you didn't let me get to my fucking punchline. Oh, sorry, sorry. Is that that was before I heard 
this story about your mother laying you out on a goddamn ironing board and slapping your chest. Yeah, I can just, well, okay, so let's play it out <laughs> for the fans. <laughs> I would become able bodied tomorrow and then I'd be a victim of Munchausen's by proxy? No. Like you would you would you would give up your disability and then retroactively speaking, you would have had to have grown up as an able-bodied person with a parent who had Munchausen's. I don't understand. What are you talking about? It's straightforward. Like a genie comes to you and says, uh-huh. I will take away your disability. Yeah. But it'll be in exchange for being an able-bodied person for your whole life who had a parent who had Munchausen's. So then wouldn't I just net where I was now? I don't know. Not not unless they come up with a concoction of drugs that gives you like uh, AS... Uh... So you're basically saying like, would you prefer to be actually disabled or disabled because your mom is crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm asking. That's what you're asking. No, but I, I think... Would you give up your disability to have a different disability? <laughs> Would you give up your disability? <laughs> Would you give up your disability to get to experience disability all over again? <laughs> You're being a jerk. Here's the thing. Like, I have faith that you would figure out that your mom had Munchausen's. Oh, I see where you're getting at. Yeah, and then you would you would escape it. And, and it, you, yeah, you'd pull a Kira and you'd fucking get out of there. So, like, maybe I only be disabled for 17 years. Well, I don't know, 17 years. Like, like yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, for fuck's sake, you lived the first five years of your disabled life riding around on little scooter boards? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't really want to go and try it all again. That's, like, as absurd as, like, uh, you telling me that your mom wore a kangaroo costume and carried you around in the pouch for the first six years of your life. Did I never tell you about my mom's kangaroo costume? <laughs> By the way, I hope I'm not being hurtful. I don't mean to reduce your childhood. No, no, no. You're not being hurtful. Okay. Uh, lying on the iron board was hurtful. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Tony. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it. Here's one. Now, let me tell you why I wouldn't do it, though. Hold on, Tony. To this day, are you afraid of having wrinkled clothes? <laughs> to this day, I do not own an ironing board because I know I would just never be able to sleep knowing it's in the next closet over. And like, what if I ever get a mild cough? Uh-huh. Someone's going to lie me down on the ironing board and start beating me up. <laughs> it's like your mom comes to visit and she does your laundry and she brings your favorite ironing board cover. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll have to bring that up with them. Like, I don't know if they've realized if I've ever explained how traumatized I am from that ironing board stretch of my life. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do the, the thing because, like, I get what you're saying. Maybe I could figure it out and then be not disabled earlier on. Yeah. But you would be traumatized and mentally fucked up for your whole life after. In a different way. In a very different way. Like, if I took any other deal to be Uh able-bodied, I at least know, like, okay, well, cool. I know who I am now going forward. But your example, I have no idea who I would end up. Fair enough, I guess. There there would be, like, a a fundamental um, invalidation of the, like, important uh, dynamics of trust between parent and child. Yeah. And whenever whenever that fucking shit happens... (laughs) <laughs> Good luck. And I would just never get to know that I had the arrangement. 
Like, you know you're eating a little spoonful of shit every day, and you know why. <laughs> right, right. Okay, I have a wheel breakers, and I haven't told you this yet, but this is our first wheel breakers submitted by a listener. What? Yeah. What? That's the coolest. Was it? Hold on, hold on. Is it a person? It's a, it's a friend of yours? Yeah, so Kyle, Hannah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm giving him credit because he came up with this, and I was like, I will propose it to Jamie on the next episode. Sure. So, Jamie, tomorrow, yep. I have the power to make you fully able-bodied. You get to experience everything you've experienced up until this point. Uh-huh. You don't have to go back and live your life under a new diagnosis. <laughs> and you get to remember everything going forward. You no longer have to uh, commando crawl up a ramp every time you forget that you're in a wheelchair. <laughs> The only catch... Yeah, I'll get to the top of the ramp, you idiot. Get to the bathroom. <laughs> get, get to the toilet. Get yeah. to the toilet. Shit down. Get to the grab bar. <laughs> get to the shower. Oh, that's a good one. The only catch is you are obsessed uh-huh. with the phrase, that's what she said. <laughs> and you use it all the time. In situations where it doesn't even make sense. It's the only punchline you ever make now. It's basically all you do. So you could be at a wedding. You could be at a funeral and be like, till death do us part. That's what she said. Yeah. And like you make a big deal of it. You say it to kids. You say it to parents. Oh, God. You say it just all the time. Someone comes to me privately and says, I have cancer. And I say, that's what she said. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. But it, it could also just be like, hey, I'm going to have some breakfast. You want anything? That's what she said. Like, people just get annoyed. They're like, "Are you like, what? Doesn't make sense. Do you want eggs or not? Am I allowed to tell them why I keep saying that's what she said? Okay, so now I'm going to have to start making it because Kyle obviously isn't here to uh, give me these answers. But I'm going to say, whenever someone asks you why you always say that's what she said, uh-huh. you just respond with that's what she said. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But does it sound as terrible as bloody knees to get to your bed? Good question. Mm-hmm. I I think I I oh, am I allowed to write down on paper why that's why why I say that? You're allowed to write. That's what she said on paper. Yeah, <laughs> you can write it. You can write it. You can spell it. You can type it. You can text <laughs> it. In fact, that's actually uh, encouraged. Like I go to a job interview and they they ask me to write down what my starting salary should be. And I write down, that's what she said. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, you're just like, would you like, would you like a bag with your groceries? And you just, that's what she said. <laughs> and you know, like the first few times, people might find it charming. My sister asked me to write a review of her play for the local walleye. And all I write is, that's what she said. People ask you to be job references. (laughs) And they call you, hey, we're just going to, we have, uh, so-and-so is looking for a job reference. And they said you'd be a good reference. But all I have to say about him is, uh, that's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, So, you know, like, you might be able to find someone who, thinks that it's funny and just thinks that you're like 
a goof who like likes to have fun and doesn't take anything seriously. So what you're saying is like my whole, like the only friend I would ever have is Michael Scott. Yeah, so you basically wake up with Michael Scottism. You get rid of CP. Would you stay my friend if this happened to me? No, I don't think so, because you you would lose like a dimension of a of yourself. I totally would, yeah, it's true. Like if if every one of your jokes was that's what she said. I think I would talk to you like maybe once a month. <laughs> And it would be like just to see if I'm just to see if I'm still like mentally ill. To see if you've grown up, yeah. To see if you <laughs> to see if you still like love Michael Scott. To see if you still have Michael Scottism. I couldn't do it. No. No. That's what she said. <laughs> People would just get they would be like ha ha, and then be like ha ha, and they'd be like okay, and then they'd just be like please shut up. Yeah. Like very quickly they'd be like it's not. Like it's really actually annoying me. Please stop. It would be it would be more alienating than having a physical disability. <laughs> <laughs> you just become the person at the office that like no one wants to be associated with in any capacity. Yeah. They would just come to you for your function of your job. And every time they'd have to work with you, they'd just be like, That fucking that's what she said, guy. If he says it to me one more time, I swear to God I'm gonna tell HR. Do you think you'd get turned into like a caricature? And that because they know you're going to say that. Haven't you met like able-bodied people in the world who are so like there is such thing as able-bodied people who function in today's world, but are so profoundly socially illiterate that they have essentially ostracized themselves like more than your average disabled person. Yeah, because like the thing is, if you're physically disabled, and you still have full ability to be socially participate in conversation and stuff. I think you can quickly overcome your disability in a lot of social situations. Like it doesn't become a very big part of the interaction. No, of course not. But if you're socially illiterate, then unless you're just doing something together that doesn't require any sort of social connection, like, you would probably just be the guy that gets invited to movies. But even then, would you? Because then you just shout that's what she said all the time. <laughs> I don't even know like what your social life would be like. No. You you might be like the one night stand kind of guy. Maybe, yeah, if you're handsome enough. Because like you could probably like pull it into like be a little bit charming with it and just say that's what she said a lot. And the girl's like, You're so goofy. It maybe if this is like twenty thirteen. And like being like a like a frustratingly ironic hipster in tight pants was still like an okay choice to make. Then you could pass it off as just like being ironic. Or if you lived in an alternate universe where the office wasn't a thing. Maybe. I remember the pre-office, that's what she said. Yeah. Being like kind of cutting edge. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> like it was almost funny. But then Michael Scott just like, okay, we got it. Right. Yeah. So maybe if you were living in another world where there was no, uh, none of the office had ever aired, then maybe you could get away with it because it's like, it's like your brand. Mm -hmm. You're not just like recycling someone else's material. So maybe, maybe it would work then. But I don't think the risks outweigh it. Like I'd rather be myself and just never be able to leave my house if there's stairs outside, uh, but at least be able to like engage socially. Yeah, that's a 
that, that's definitely a wheel breaker for me. <laughs> when we have able-bodied guests on, we, we have to think of a, an opposite segment to ask them. Oh, interesting. Like, would you become disabled? But, and then they get this cool perk. Oh, why do the able-bodied people always get the perks, dude? Fuck that. I don't want to play that game. <laughs> yeah, because you can't be like, would you like to be disabled? And you have to eat shit every day. <laughs> True. I don't think you can get away with that. But, but then it's like, what? What, what is it going to be? Like, oh, oh, would you like to be disabled, but you can climb the stairs? No, no, no. I'd be like, you can be disabled, but you have a really good singing voice or something. Okay. Well, we'll have to think about it. We'll workshop it. On to, on to disabled, or sorry, um, embarrassing disabled moment of the week. Do you have one? Yeah, but I went first last time. Do you want to go this time? Because I know you said you have one this time. I do, but I'm not really sure how to fashion it into something comedic because it involves high emotions and it was kind of intense. Okay. So you want me to go? No, no, no. I'll go. I'll go. So earlier this week, I was, uh, it was my coffee break and I was like uh, dehydrated and grumpy. Because that's the way I am every morning because I'm not a morning person. And uh, as I was coming up the ramp, I like accidentally uh, nicked my wall. And I don't know if uh, you able-bodied people out there are familiar with uh, the adverse relationship between uh, cripples and drywall. But uh, the average foot pedal of 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 a wheelchair will slice through drywall like butter. And power chair joysticks uh, like real phallic joysticks are very sensitive so when you like when you like touch them like a like a single cunt hair of a degree to one direction like your chair will move and it will be very powerful and it will fucking cut through the drywall and it doesn't matter if you wanted that to happen or not it'll just fucking happen and then when you live with parents who pride themselves on the presentability and the the overall cleanliness of the, of their fucking uh, non-accessible living space uh, and you do that, like they get like deeply like offended uh, toward you and they like kind of want you to move away into your own house and be a person, uh, which is kind of understandable from certain vantage points. <clears throat> but anyway, so I sliced the drywall and my dad was like, uh, uh, what was that, Joe? And I was like, well, I just kind of nicked the drywall because my caster was in a weird position and that's a really narrow space and I nick it usually six times a year and please don't punish me for this. And he was like, well, we're going to have to figure out something here. <clears throat> he's like, uh, he's like, uh, we've been talking about this a number of times already, and we really do think that it would be a good idea if you started researching a smaller indoor power chair. And I was thinking, like, what the fuck does that mean? Does that mean that I should go talk to my fucking engineering friends and figure out how to make my own <clears throat> like compact fucking power chair? Because I don't really think that's a thing because... I think that I exist in in the smallest kind of power chair that is reasonably feasible in in 2020 because because I mean obviously they wouldn't they would make an arbitrarily big power chair I mean what the fuck does that even mean a smaller power chair so I I got into it with them I was like fine you know what uh we'll 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 look into a smaller power chair and then what we'll do is we'll make you use it in the house for 6 months and if you don't slice any drywall at all, I'll keep the chair and I'll ride in the goddamn motherfucking chair that doesn't exist. How does that sound? You said that to him? I did, yeah. Like, it was quite, it was quite heated. And? Is he going to take it? <clears throat> and he just sort of responded the way that my dad responds to any kind of hostile conversation. 
And he said, I cannot, I can't reason with you. And then he left the room. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good wheel breaker right there. All right, fine. You, I'll be, I'll be more disabled, but first you have to be disabled for six months. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, the, the, it's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, obviously if there was a better chair, I would be in the better fucking chair. Indoor power chair. Fuck off. Yeah. Maybe like, it's not your fault that you're like, that's, that's, it's such a annoying concept to just default to blaming you. Yeah. When your environment obviously isn't accessible enough. Yeah. And but instead of being like, man, how can we make this environment more accessible? Yeah. They're like, how can we make you less of a burden on the environment? Exactly. Fucking exactly. And like, this is the kind of, uh, the kind of language and the hostility that my parents exhibit all the time. And I have to say, like, I love my parents. They're really good people. And he said they've been talking about it. Like, yeah, like, no, like, like their pillow talk is like, he should get a smaller chair for sure. Uh, your mother and I have been talking and we've decided that you're not a very good driver. <laughs> and we want to try to figure out how we can improve your driving such that you do not ruin your mother's drywall. We're tired of having to patch up the drywall. Like, how hard is it to patch drywall? It's not that hard, and we have. We I know. Have I just had like I just had to do it in my bathroom. Yeah. So so in this household, we have three incomes and no kids. You know, patch up the drywall. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Drywall is very easy to to destroy in a wheelchair. My awkward disability story of the week is uh, very recently I was at my friend Jeff's house. Jeff has already made some appearances on this podcast through stories. This is uh, the the Arnold Jeff. He's got the big muscles. No, no. Yeah, he's a very strong, very strong man. And this, of course, every time we talk about Jeff, we must mention that because it does always play a significant role in the story. He's also the kind of guy that just, like, he sees a problem and he's like, all right, well, how do we just power through this thing? Yeah, he sees the problem and he gets to the chopper. So... Uh, I go over to I go over to the house, and it's not very accessible. But we knew that it has like four steps, four different steps, like a step and then a landing and then a step and then a landing. Just asshole stairs. Yeah, just like stairs for design. They're not even really like you could easily just make it a ramp if you were redoing it. And I think they will when they redo it. I think they're going to do that. They're like frilly stairs from HomeSense that have no practical use, but they're just there because it makes it look dainty and domestic. They're Martha Stewart stairs. Yeah, they're they're really just Brian Cranston in the upside of stairs. Um, they're not serving any purpose. <laughs> they could have used a ramp, <laughs> but they still get the job done. And you know they're nice stairs. Okay, okay, okay. I see the metaphor now. I approve. <laughs> but anyway, so Jeff bought a ramp. Uh, like a nice little two-foot ramp. And he'd show me some pictures. And I was like, yeah, I think that should work. So I get there. And it happens to be like minus 27 that day. Oh, my God, dude. And I get there. And they bring out the ramp. And I immediately see that this might not work. Because uh, the landing isn't very big. And so there almost isn't really room to put a ramp and my wheelchair like, I don't know, if you put a ramp, how am I going to drive my wheelchair up? So I drive up the first step. That one's no problem. But then there's like almost, there's like basically no space 
to get the ramp in in front of me uh-huh. for the next step. So I basically backed up literally on the edge of the, the step below it. Uh-huh. And then Jeff is like shoving the ramp in. Uh, I have to like raise my chair up because it's so steep that my foot plates are actually just hitting the ramp. That's terrifying. I don't, I, I don't think you're properly communicating how terrifying it is to be mid staircase in a fucking 500 pound uh, death machine that could crush you if something goes wrong. Yeah, so it was a little scary, and I was a little cold. <laughs> In minus 27. But, you know, I knew that worst case, like, Jeff would just, like, carry me into the house and lay me on the couch or something. He, he would get you to the chopper. Sorry for the Arnie impression. I can't help myself. Great. Anyway, uh, he ends up sort of shoving the ramp under my wheels to the point where I'm able to kind of, like, take a run at it, and he uses his oddled arms to, like, push me up the ramp and I get up and then I get up and then there's another. So there's four steps altogether. I get in the house. We're good. Everyone kind of breathes. We know getting back down is going to be a lot easier. Do we? How the fuck do we know that? More because gravity's on our side, right? Is it, is it, is it though? Worst case, I can just back down the steps. I would fucking be terrified. Like you're way less of a, of a, I've backed down curbs many times. Like, if, if there's no curb cut, I'll just spin around and back down the curb. <clears throat> what about your neck? Like, you need somebody to, like, hold your head while you're doing this shit? Yeah, that's the only real conundrum. So let's fast forward to, you know, we have a great time. And then Hera gets there to pick me up. And so it's time for us to go back down. So we're doing the first step, which is, you know, pretty easy. It's the inside step, so... It's pretty much the easiest one. Um, so Jeff sets up the ramp. I'm I'm like lining up to it. And then I start backing down. And uh, I guess like Jeff, uh, for whatever reason, like we're on hardwood floor, so it's slippery. And my wheel ends up basically just pushing the ramp off the step rather than driving onto the ramp. But this is by the time... I'm already three quarters of my wheelchair is over the ramp. So my back wheels are on the ramp. Now it's just my main wheels backing down the ramp. How scared are you right now? I'm not scared yet. But then all of a sudden, the ramp falls off and my chair just crashes onto the step as if the ramp had never been there in the first place. (laughs) That's how I got down the first step. Oh, my God. And so my head falls forward. My hand drives forward. I'm driving into the step. No. But it's fine because like the step is stopping me. So I'm not like running anything over and it doesn't, uh, there was no real damage. (laughs) But it's fine because there's no threat to the people around me, just me. And it was only terrifying for me. Yeah. I was mostly worried that I like scratched up their hardwood floors. Oh, God, dude, you don't want to do that. It's a brand new house. So we get down the next step, which is very easy. I just back down. There's actually a mirror so I could, like, watch myself in the mirror to make sure I'm lined up with the ramp properly this time. Just a minute. I I just need to take a small break here to tell able-bodied people, fuck your floors, okay? (laughs) They're they're just floors. They're, they're, They're the ground. It, like, you don't have to preserve the ground. No, you preserve the ground. 
No, fuck the floors. No, don't fuck the floors. All right, fine. Go ahead. You're you're falling down a set of stairs. Yeah, I mean, that was the craziest part for sure. The rest of it ends up going rather smoothly. But I know that the crazy part is going to be this landing that we had a hard time with on the way up. Um, so uh, basically, I backed down the ramp, fully prepared to just manually back down the next step the way I do a curb. But uh, Jeff, being Jeff, was able to pull the ramp out from under my wheelchair and then put it on the next step down behind me. Jesus Christ. And then I backed down that. It's like you you guys inadvertently discovered a new event for a, a strongman competition. <laughs> like ramp stairs? Yeah, ramp cripple stairs swap. Ramp relay? Yeah, and they, 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 they pay us more for the event because our lives are at risk yeah um but anyway that's kind of the end of the story i mean i ended up just backing down that ramp and everything was good to go i'm glad you're still alive by the way yeah i mean if i went forward down the ramp instead of backward it definitely wouldn't have went as well for me physically but how how is jeff he didn't pull anything he's fine no of course he's fine he's good yeah he's fine okay well, Tony, we must be like past the two hour mark by now, eh? Yeah, well, this is a long one. Yeah, it's a long one, dude. Okay, so everyone, uh, watch Run because it's really good. And uh, keep listening to our podcast and keep giving us ideas for uh, wheel breakers. And uh, by the way, able bodied people, if you have any awkward disabled moments somehow in your lives, uh, you can let us know and we'll relay them maybe. Should that be a thing? Yeah, or you can come on and talk about them on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you stub your toe in a weird way, that kind of counts. If you, if we can have more guests, then we can hold tour to the pun that is our title of Cripple Threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. <laughs>